1: I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with Daniel Robison, the assistant news director at WFIU, and today we're going to talk about coal and what it means for Indiana. We have three guests. Two are here with us in the studio, and one is joining us by phone. In the studio, we have uh, a return guest, J.C. Randolph. J.C. is director of the Center for Research in Energy and Environment here on the IU campus. He's a, a faculty member at IU in SPIA. Uh, also in the studio is Nelson Schaefer, who is the head of the coal and industrial minerals section at the Indiana Geological Survey, and joining us by phone from uh, West Lafayette This uh, is Stephen Sun, who's uh, the associate director of the Center for Coal Technology Research at Purdue Uni- and he's a faculty member also at Purdue University. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And you can join the discussion by going to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. So, Nelson, JC, thanks for being back. And, Stephen, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, All right. Well, Cole, it's uh, a topic of uh, some um, controversy, I guess I'd say. It's uh, certainly something that does mean a lot to Indiana. I want to start with, uh, with JC. Uh, your Center for Research in Energy and Environment began or opened here in the fall of 2009, correct?
0: So. Uh, yes, that is correct, um, in part because we had a, a lot of interest uh, across the Bloomington campus to uh, uh, conduct interdisciplinary research in various aspects of, of energy. Uh, And in particular, uh, the center focuses on the environmental consequences of energy production distribution and use. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Now, I want to just, I guess, get some more background information. The uh, coal and industrial mineral section at the Geological Survey, what's that involved?
2: Well, the uh, Indiana Geological Survey is one of the many affiliated research institutes at Indiana University, sort of like the Kinsey Institute, but not so much fun. (laughs) We've been studying the resources of Indiana since 1837 and um, we have an ongoing program where we look at all the resources and hazards associated with geology of the state. Coal was found very early in the history of the state and it's been a very important economic and energy material that has been widely mined and has really contributed to the uh, state – Indiana has a um, very well-developed coal and coal-fired electric power system. We actually export a lot of coal by wire. We send it out as electricity to other states.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, Stephen, if you could uh, talk a little bit about um, the Center for Coal Technology Research and just get us grounded in that too.
3: Sure. Uh, the um, The purpose of the Center for Coal Technology Research is to look at um, various technologies in, involved with coal and to try to, uh, in particular, help the state of Indiana uh, meet the economic and environmental priorities uh, that they have in anything involving coal. So in my mind, I think our, our purpose really is to try to bring to the table uh, technologies and approaches and information that is uh is, is useful as we move forward. And we, we, we clearly have, uh, you know, challenges uh, with coal. And, uh, uh, and, you know, it's a great fuel, but uh, there's certainly challenges uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think uh, we're going to get to a lot of those challenges probably during the program from our phone callers and mm-hmm. from both Daniel and I. Um, I. I do want to, I guess, just start off by asking, you know, there there is the – the, um, I guess one of the terms that people hear quite frequently is clean coal technology and there are those that would say there is no such thing as clean coal. And I'd like to get your three reactions to that. JC, you want to? Sure.
0: Uh, unfortunately, the uh, that term clean coal has uh, has sometimes happens in these kinds of discussions. I, I think it's been sort of taken out of context and uh, is not used very uh, very precisely. I tend to think of it as cleaner coal technologies, uh, the idea being that there are aspects of, of coal production, coal use, particularly for electrical generation, uh, where we can and where we must uh, make improvements to, to uh, make the processes both more energy efficient, reduce emissions, including uh, carbon dioxide and, and um, sulfur dioxide, NOx, and other other uh, pollutants into the atmosphere. Uh, so I would argue that the term is perhaps more appropriately cleaner um, and that the, the phrase clean is uh, putting something of an absolute uh, definition on it.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Nelson?
2: It is inevitable if you burn any carbon-containing material that you make CO2. Uh, Up until a few years ago, there was not a lot of concern about the CO2, but uh, there has been an evolution to this cleaner use of coal. And early on, there was a lot of ash and other material let out into the air and we developed technology and laws and economics made it attractive to clean up even the smallest uh, material and now they run the... Gases from burning coal through a series of baghouse filters, electrostatic precipitators, and various chemical devices. I myself was uh, studying the use of limestone to remove sulfur compounds from the coal. And uh, we can also take um, the NOx compounds out. And we are now looking at ways to uh, take the CO2 out. And I always look for a win-win situation where we can take out a pollutant and make a material that is saleable. You know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And in the uh, removal of SOX compounds, if you do it right, you can actually make a synthetic gypsum, which can uh, be used in wallboard. And it's also very important for helping the um, fertility of Indiana's soils. So what was a uh, pollutant has now turned into a, a plant. Fertilizer. We're also looking at uh, coal ash and other materials that inevitably evolve from the use of this very important material.
1: All right, Stephen, can you uh, weigh in on this?
3: Sure. I mean, certainly that that term has become you know a political uh, football in, in the sense of uh, on, on both sides, in those extremes on either either point of view. I certainly agree that uh, cleaner is uh, a better, uh, more more descriptive way to. Uh, describe, uh, you know, what we want to do. And also there's some great examples there of how technology over the years has, you know, tremendously improved both, you know, the removal of particulates as well as, uh, you know, NOx and and SOx and so forth. And as we move forward and and address uh, the CO2 um, issue and look at technologies to uh, uh, capture and sequester uh, CO2, uh, I, I think we can, we can do that and do it in a way that we can maintain our, our quality of life. And, uh, that's, that's what we're working towards
4: earlier this week. I found myself in uh, I use uh, a heating plant, uh, just a few football fields away from the studio right here. And they've implemented uh, a lot of, uh, fixes over the years to, you know, uh, cut down on, uh, the ash that goes out of the stacks and different things to, uh, reduce the, the pollution. Um, where does – you guys use the, the term cleaner coal. Where do you see the technology going? Is there any way to burn coal and have it be you know, relatively environmentally safe eventually?
2: Well, probably the most promising is the coal gasification programs. Many people do not know this but Indiana is sort of a, a leader in this technology. The Wabash Valley uh, plant makes electricity uh, north of Terre Haute – has had an integrated uh, gasification combined cycle, that's IGCC, running since 1990. This technology is well known and instead of uh, burning the coal, the powdered coal with a lot of atmospheric oxygen, you actually cook it in a pressure cooker and you make uh, a lot of chemical compounds that are very useful. There's a plant in Kingsport, Tennessee that has been in operation for many years. And they use it actually to make uh, chemical compounds for the Eastman Company. There's also a plant in Tampa Bay, Florida, which is using coal uh, under these pressurized uh, special conditions. And you actually make a a gas that can be used to either be burned or turn the turbines. There will be a plant uh, in Edwardsport. It's uh, being built as we speak. And Vectrin recently said that they plan a plant in the Evansville area also to generate natural gas through coal gasification.
4: Well, these so are big, that's one way. These are like the Edwardsport project is going to be billions of dollars to cut down a certain percentage of uh, of pollution. Is it going to take huge projects like this to continue to cut percentages of carbon and other emissions? And eventually, over say fifty years, we could have coal plants putting out five ten percent of what they are now. I mean, what, what are we talking about here?
2: Well, the, the object in future gen was to have basically zero emissions. Uh, there is a plan to build a plant of this sort in Illinois. And we, through the center and the geological survey, are involved in looking at what to do with the CO2. So, yes, there are other ways. And there was a talk last night from a person from DOE where he went through uh, probably 20 different techniques of physical um, membrane, Uh, chemical reacting with rocks. There are various ways and including biological ways to use the CO2 that is inevitable when you burn things. Mm
0: -hmm. J.C. Do you want to? Yeah. I just want to add to that. And I too want to mention uh, our visitor from the uh, National Energy Technology Laboratory in Pittsburgh was on campus yesterday afternoon um, and had a really nice audience of people from all across the campus. Uh, as Nelson said, the, his presentation, I, I thought it was just outstanding. Uh, he um, presented, as, again, as Nelson mentioned, uh, 20 or so emerging technologies, uh, talked about the advantages, the disadvantages, the cost, the efficiencies. Uh, I, I found it very encouraging to see our U.S. Department of Energy, along with both private sector uh, companies and universities working uh, and and doing such interesting innovative work on carbon capture
3: mm-hmm.
4: well of the of the twenty or so ideas that he presented uh, you know what 's the kind of overall feeling is that uh, are these going to solve the problem of burning coal and, and pollution or is, are these just going to kind of take us incremental steps towards that uh, and what 's the time frame that he kind of gave on those uh, some of the actually uh, uh, the fellow's name
0: is Jared Saferno. Uh, Jared presented a, a time frame and, and projected out in roughly uh, decadal increments out to about 2050. And one of the points that he made is some of these technologies are pretty well known. We know the chemical engineering, we have pilot skill uh, or demonstration skill facilities. Some of these we know work. It's a question of... Uh, perhaps improving the efficiency or, or reducing the cost or both uh, other technologies are much more in the in the bench scale experimental stages and might be twenty to thirty years out um, I, 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 The conclusion that I take away from that kind of research is we know that coal is abundant. We know that it's distributed in some 70 or 75 countries around the globe. We know it is an important fuel. We also know it has some significant problems. If we want to, for the U.S., for example, if we want to reduce our dependence on foreign oil, one of the things we have to look to is cleaner, more efficient use of coal. So... My view is let's get in there, let's do the science and engineering to develop these technologies, make them as efficient, energy efficient as possible, make them cost as cost-efficient as possible. Will we ever get to zero? I don't know. As Nelson mentioned, the, the plant in Mattoon, Illinois, that was one of their goals, is one of their goals. And this is so very important because
2: coal is really undergirds a lot of the industry here. We have 17 billion do- tons that can be mined uh, reasonably and another 30 or so million billion tons in the ground. This is like a 500-year reserve, and this can be done economically. Indiana exports a lot of electricity because we can generate it in a very cost-effective way. So we are, in fact, uh, very dependent, not just for uh, electricity, but for a lot of other reasons. And coal can be used for a myriad of other industrial techniques. And we, we have a lot of it in the Illinois basin here.
1: Stephen, I want to, if you would, hold on to your thoughts about uh, some of these new technologies and what seems promising to you, because we have a phone call and I want to get to that. Okay. Uh, so, Paul, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'm, calling, I'm wondering about um, you said you don't know uh, if they will ever get to uh, zero emissions. And you're talking about clean coal, and and you said earlier that the goal is to get to 0% emissions. But that's not even possible with coal. At all. There's nothing clean about it. No matter what you do to efficient, make, to make it, it more efficient, you know, any of these solutions, probably you're talking thousands of years down the line to make it clean coal, supposedly. And I'm wondering why you're not talking about why didn't you bring anybody else with sort of uh, really talking about renewable energy sources that are not the supposed clean coal. Thanks. All right. Well, I guess I, let me respond to that. Uh, that isn't a topic today topic is coal, and uh, we'll trust that Paul and other callers might call in with their point of view about these kind of things. But you guys want to respond to?
0: Yeah, let me, let me respond to that because uh, <clears throat> the uh, subject of renewable energy comes up almost always in this kind of discussion. It's an important one. It's one where we're making huge progress. I'm pleased that Indiana is one of the leading states in developing wind energy. The, the development of renewable energy resources that can displace some of the demand for electricity is absolutely critical. It's a question of timing. The demands for electrical production, the consumption now, uh, are projected if you look at various uh, projections, both uh, done, for example, by the uh, National Academy of Science and uh, other organizations, we're going to see uh, electrical uh, demand continue to rise, particularly in China. Uh, the ability to meet that demand and a significant amount of that demand with renewables, we simply don't – we, we don't have the technology sufficiently well-developed. There are some limitations. Some are geographic limitations. Some relate to weather, a variety of other things. To try to move forward, with that's really important, but it's not
1: going to happen overnight. Okay, uh, Stephen, do you want to uh, weigh in on any part of this discussion?
3: Sure. Um, I mean, really going back to the, the previous discussion of you know, new plants using gasification and so forth, and the best technology to be the you know the uh, most efficient and so forth. Is, is critically important. But we also need to think about um, retrofitting or dealing with, you know, the current plants that we have. And, and it was just brought up the time scale for making any change in how we generate our power is decades. So, you know, let's say we all decided we wanted to not use coal. It would take uh, decades to, to make changes. And, and, you know, do we have... Good alternatives for that now we really don't. So uh, a focus that we've looked on is you know how do, you know how do we retrofit what what add-ons do we do to for example try to uh, you know capture CO2 after it's been uh, burned or do we look at technologies uh, such as oxy fuel combustion where you separate the nitrogen and the oxygen you burn the uh, the coal with the oxygen. And, uh, and then you produce mostly, you know, CO2 and water, and you can separate that out much more easily than CO2 and nitrogen. And what technologies, what approaches can you look at to, you know, sequester the, the CO2? Um, you know, I think the caller was right that, you know, you know going absolutely zero, no, no zero emissions on coal, uh, but, you know, you've got to be able to replace the power generation that you have now or accept, you know, dramatic changes in lifestyle, and, and, and I don't, you know, so there's, there's pluses and minuses. There's, there's, you know, you, you can't just swap out uh, an energy source like you would, say, uh, put a new operating system on your computer. It doesn't happen on those same time scales.
2: Well, and I would also point out that working with the environment, you can, in fact, capture a lot of the CO2 into biomass or other materials. Uh, Indiana has an operation right now at the power plant where they're growing algae. And uh, I think uh, this may be one way that is fairly cost effective. One of the issues with all of these techniques is we can do it, but it's going to be very cost effective. And it also takes a lot of energy to run these operations.
1: All right. Our phone numbers again are eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. 877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is our website. Let's go back to the phones, and we have John. John?
0: Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Again, I would uh, uh, ask the question,
1: which I don't think was answered. Um, There are a number of people who don't believe that coal is clean technology and can be made clean. Why isn't there a speaker on your program today that holds that viewpoint? Thank you. Well, let me... uh, point out that uh, J.C. Randolph is the director of the Center for Research in Energy and the Environment. So, you know, I, I'm not sure how many, what, what J.C., what all of his viewpoints are, but he uh, represents a lot of different viewpoints, and this the, the program today is about coal and what it means for Indiana, which involves uh, – and we involve callers. So we will perhaps do a, a show on renewable energy sources in the, in the future. We've done them before, and we can do them again. So that's my answer to the question.
2: Well, and to reiterate, you have to approach the problem, and we approached it by helping take the sulfur dioxides out of the stack gases, and we get better than – Ninety-five percent removal—that's not zero, but it's uh, quite a bit less emissions than in the past. And to get that last five percent takes an extraordinary effort in terms of uh, money and parasitic power loss.
1: All right, we're going to take one more phone call before we have to go to a break. And Fred's on the line. Fred? Yes. Yeah. Hey, go right here. ahead, Chef. Go right ahead.
5: Hi, how are you? I live in southern Illinois, and I frequently drive down past through Evansville on my way home, and I've passed the Edwardsport plant. Uh, there are people in that area and a few others around here that I've talked with that are concerned about the coal sequestration uh, approach, arguing that the New Madrid Fault, which runs from uh, Missouri and Arkansas all the way up through southern Indiana, um, may be um, affected by putting the carbon dioxide and other gases into the ground, is there any uh, how, what do your guests feel about that
1: all right we're going to I'm going to ask j c to to at least start the answer to that but first, could you just uh uh define carbon sequestration and what that process is all about mm-hmm. uh, no no, uh, no. j c oh, okay. yeah. no <laughs> yeah
0: thank you uh, sure they uh, they're, they're two steps to trying to reduce or largely eliminate uh, CO2 emissions and uh, the first is as Nelson has pointed out, you burn an organic compound, you're going to release CO2. So the first of those is to actually capture that CO2 typically through some chemical processes, membranes and other, other technologies which we talked about earlier. The second step then is, okay. now that we've got the CO2, what do we do with it? Um, There are a a variety of carbon sequestration uh, approaches that have been considered. These include using biological uptake, uh, increased uh, reforestation, decreased forestation where you get – where you basically use the process of photosynthesis to capture CO2. That's going to help but that's not – that's even globally, that's not going to be enough. Uh, Another approach uh, that's uh, receiving quite a bit of attention now is to again use photosynthesis but direct it into algal growth uh, and use those algae, uh, both extracting lipids from them and using them potentially for liquid fuels. Uh, And then using the cellulosic materials from algae, perhaps co-fired with uh, pulverized coal or perhaps used uh, as an organic fertilizer. Uh, Another approach to sequestration is locking the CO2, locking in the sense of putting it someplace for a long time. Geological uh, sequestration, what our caller mentioned, is right now thought to be one of the more promising of those. Uh, There are some approaches that are examining uh, CO2 sequestration in deep oceans. Uh, There are others that are looking at uh, mineral transformation, basically making carbonate minerals and storing them. At the moment, geological sequestration, and I'm not a geologist. I do work Closely with several colleagues in the Indiana Geological Survey and in the Department of Geological Sciences, um, my understanding is that, that there's a significant effort with very major funding from the u s Department of Energy looking at the risk that would be associated, including the possibility of influencing earthquake potential again uh, the topic really needs to be addressed by a geophysicist but my understanding is that uh, research addressing that is very much ongoing Stephen do you have uh,
1: something to add to that no
3: I'm not a geologist either okay. but I, I mean it's a it's a true concern of uh, what will happen to co2 if it's uh, pumped into the ground I mean, when in oil recovery it's it's that's done uh, now in Texas and other places. Uh, so some of those technologies exist. Uh, if if you're you know if you're doing it in various locations, I know that uh, that there's a lot of studies looking at you know uh, you know what the possible risks are for for that kind of sequestration. But I'm really not an expert to talk about any of the you know details in that particular area and how that may be affected and an earthquake-prone area and things like that?
2: Well, uh, we have um, several people. I am a geologist,
3: okay, but I'm
2: not that kind of geologist. Uh, <laughs> we have a number of people looking at um, beds that are suitably deep to accept uh, high-pressure CO2. We also have people looking at storing the CO2 either in depleted, more shallow depleted oil reservoirs And this is a good option because when you pump in CO2 to an old reservoir, you get more oil out. Um, And That's not necessarily using the very high-pressure, so-called supercritical CO2. But there's another way to put it very deep down into porous formations that aren't – they have very saline brines in them that will never be used. And um, that is the typical thought of sequestration is that you pump it very deep under high-pressure. And you want it to stay there forever. And we have a number of people looking at that. Uh, as JC said, there's an enormous amount of uh, thought and effort at the Mattoon site. They are drilling cores uh, and looking at the rocks. And they have all sorts of monitors to uh, make sure that the the CO2 is uh, going into the rock and staying where it's supposed to be.
1: All right. We're, we're past our break time, so we need to uh, go to a break now. Uh, you're listening to Noon Edition. Our discussion today is about coal and what it means for Indiana. We'll be right back.
6: You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone Information at smithville.net and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, They're archived on our website, wfiu.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 745.
1: All right, we're talking about coal today on Noon Edition, coal and what it means for Indiana. We have three guests with us. Uh, J.C. Randolph is here. He's the director of the Center for Research in Energy and the Environment on the IU campus. We have uh, Stephen Sun from West Lafayette. He's... Joined us by phone, he is associate director of the Center for Coal Technology Research. He's a faculty member at Purdue. And Nelson R. Schaefer is here. He's head of the Coal and Industrial Minerals section at the Indiana Geological Survey. If you want to join us on the program, offer your thoughts and your questions, please call us at 855-0811 or outside of the Bloomington area, 877-285-9348. You can also go to our website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can email us from there or send us, your, send us any comments or questions.
4: Daniel? Uh, before I, I get to our first uh, email question, I want to get back to something we we talked about briefly uh, before the break. And uh, when I was at the uh, heating plant earlier this uh, this week, I got to see the algae growth that they're doing down there, the experiment where they're running the uh, the flue gases, which are the when they burn the coal, what comes out and, and running it through algae and having the algae consume the carbon, or I don't really understand it that much. But it, it, all these tubes and, and bubbles and it looks like lime green Kool-Aid you know, in, in big tubs. But uh, Dr. Wagner, I think he's in the biology department here, is, is, is conducting that and he said you know, it it's, has promising results right now but it might not be practical – on a large scale, for instance, uh, to capture all the carbon through algae from IU's heating plant, it would require hundreds of acres that IU just doesn't have. So how practical is this uh, you know, on a large scale? Well, um, many of the
2: energy companies, particularly Exxon, just put in $600 million to study this, including doing some genetic modification to increase the rate of production of uh, – the algae. Royal Dutch Shell has an operating pilot plant in Kona, Hawaii, and I'm available to go visit if you'd like me to come, Royal Dutch Shell. But there are a lot of the big energy companies that are looking at this, and there have been a number of power plants uh, and and other operations. The uh, folks here at campus might appreciate that in Boulder, Colorado, there's a brewery that is using algae to take CO2 out of their effluent And um, if the uh, so-called cap and trade taxes come into uh, play, there's going to be an enormous penalty for emitting CO2. So not only – I mean there's going to be an incentive to make energy out of the CO2, but there's also an incentive to take it out of the air and avoid penalties. So I think you're going to see a very rapid acceleration of all of these technologies. Uh, pushed by the, the legal and sort of the societal pressure to clean up coal. People are trying to respond, but as somebody said, you don't turn on a dime. This is a major industry.
4: Uh, Dr. Randolph, uh, how practical do you see you know, this uh, experiment going large? I know they have put in hundreds of million dollars, or Exxon has, and others have too, but is this practical to solve this problem or help solve it? Uh, two things come to mind.
0: Uh, one is that in order to move forward and make progress in this area, we, we've got to go from experimental to demonstration facilities and then up to commercial scale. The only way to answer how well some of these things will work is get out there and try it. So that's, that's one response. The other response and a broader one is there is no silver bullet. There is no one way of responding to this. Uh, I, I believe very strongly that it's going to be a combination of different technologies. It's going to be a combination of different fuels. It is going to include increased energy conservation. It's going to include increased energy efficiency. To the extent that renewables can displace some of the uh, electricity generating uh, capacity uh, previously from coal, fine. That's a step in that direction. But I I, I think if I had one real message to respond to your question is all of the
1: above. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I wanted to ask Stephen to join the conversation as well. Um, and talk about some of the uh, promising technologies you see. And I, I look for, I'm looking at your bio here, and it looks like you've done a lot of research in the field of combustion with an emphasis on uh, a whole lot of things. Energetic materials, nan- yeah. nano energetics, micro energetics, <laughs> hetero combustion. So, I mean, what are some of the promising things that you've worked on?
3: Yeah, my area really is in the combustion area, and a lot of my research isn't related to coal at all, but in you know, propellants and explosives and pyrotechnics, and but the relationship to coal is it's all multi-phase combustion, and so that is you know one reason I'm interested in it, and in another is that you know looking at the timescales involved, we're going to be burning coal, we're going to be burning gasoline for a long time. You know, no matter how much we will, you know may want that to change, that's the fact that as I see it, and so you know what technologies can we Put into this to bridge ourselves from our current situation to say in a future where renewables are an appreciable uh, percentage of our power generation, I mean current goals you know looking forward you know decades are ten twenty percent for renewables you know you know can we do more than that can we even reach those goals and uh, those are those are ambitious enough now concerning uh, some technologies uh, that interest me on. And the coal combustion side of things is uh, I mentioned before the oxy oxy uh, fuel combustion uh, and that's an approach that has uh, a possibility that you could retrofit some current uh, pulverized coal systems. is that easy or there you know it's not there's there's certainly a lot of questions and and uh, problems to overcome to do that uh, there's there's chemical looping uh, technologies where you uh have two reactors uh where one reactor um, you react with your your hydrocarbon fuel source and um, and uh you you uh, reduce um, uh, a metal oxide and it could be you know various different metal oxides and then on the other side and that's why it's looping because you have for example this metal would be uh burned with with air. Uh, to you know, produce heat, and in that process, you could produce a, a concentrated stream of, of CO two that could be used, you know, for example, in, in algae production or sequestered in in, in various uh, approaches. So there's you know, and that's more long term. The uh, oxy fuel combustion is more near term. Uh, I, I agree with the comment that you know we need to take some of these technologies and scale them up you know, beyond the laboratory, beyond small demos, and, uh, you know, let the facts speak for themselves on, on whether uh, we can scale it up to the, to the extent that we need. As far as the algae, um, I mean, there's, you know, some you know, talk of, of, of doing that in, in places where you have more sunlight and in, uh, and, and, uh, you know, southwest and, and those kinds of areas. And maybe, it, you know, you could scale it. Maybe you'd have the space. To scale those kinds of technologies up, uh, water usage in, in those areas would, would also be a concern and a factor that would have to be taken into account. The uh, key is to evaluate these technologies and, and move them from the laboratory to uh, pilot scale and then to, to larger scales as they, as, they, as they prove themselves.
4: I know I keep putting off the email, and I guess I'm going <laughs> to do it again. But something you just said struck me, and that is, uh, we need. You guys keep saying we need to scale up, we need to get going, we have to. You know, the, the you know time is ticking. So, what is holding this back? Uh, you know, are, are, is the government getting involved? What sorts of things are encouraging companies? There's probably lots of money to be made in new technologies. What sort of things need to happen to get these experiments into, uh, you know, moving faster?
2: With certainty, these plants cost billions of dollars and they're also required to be in service 90 plus percent of the time. You want to turn the lights on and have your electricity. So they can't take major moves unless the technology is proven and unless the business and legal climate allows them to recoup that investment. Uh, some. The reason that some of these events are happening in Indiana is because the um, utility rate structure allows people to uh, advance some of these technologies to the large scale. Um, And that's what Jared mentioned too. There are all of these techniques but scaling them up. We work at a university and we work on the basic fundamental science. But there's an awful lot of bells and whistles and gears and valves and that kind of thing that has to work and they have to work or you're penalized or things go down. And that's why it's so important that Purdue is involved in some of these things. They do have the engineering capabilities and um, the utilities who burn most of the coal have to be very cautious.
1: All right. We're going to go to the uh, phones and we have a call from Joseph. Joseph, go ahead.
5: Hi. Yeah, it's kind of kind of laughing at the last callers you had. They remind me of that commercial where it's uh, you could change the commercial to say it's my energy and I want it now. <laughs> From that uh, one commercial about my money and I want it now. Uh, what do you, what's the coal, What are the coal people going to do to meet the uh, increased energy demands by people with their computers and games and TVs and cars that plug in? There's going to be a very big increased demand for energy. That's number one. Number two, what are you doing about the so-called, uh, strip mining and the reclamation? Uh, what are things being done there? And what are things being done for the safety of miners? And then, uh, finally, uh, what's wrong with 90 per- 95% efficiency? I mean, when you compare it to 100 years ago, there was, the skies were black with coal. Now you could barely see anything. So I guess those three questions are minor safety, uh, strip mining, and why, why aren't we satisfied with 95%?
2: Well, I can take part of this. Um, one of the drawbacks uh, is the time and effort it takes to get a site prepared. And there is a very large coal mine coming on stream, and I think it will sell some of its coal to the Edwardsport setup. Um, and we mentioned before, it takes a long time to get these things underway. Indiana is gearing up to do more mining. We are doing research on innovative things like underground coal gasification, where you don't even have to dig up the coal. We are also looking at producing methane from the coal beds, which is a hazard, but it's also something that you can burn to make energy. The state uh, decided that it was important to have new miners and they underwrote a program. There's a mine technology program at Vincennes University that's sponsored by the state of Indiana and they also have a mine safety operation. The uh, Mine Safety Health Administration from the federal government uh, watches all these mines. Miners have to be trained extensively and retrained. Uh, Anytime there's an incident, there's a report. Even geologists that go into the mines are expected to be trained. Uh, That operation uh, also is run out of the Vincennes University area. So, yes, there is a lot of effort to get ready to uh, mine more coal if we can.
5: What about the strip mining? The, where they take off the top of mountains, people are complaining about that in Kentucky.
2: What? Well, we, we have no mountains here in Indiana.
5: Oh, it's all underground?
2: No, but we do do large area strip mining, but that's uh, very tightly controlled. The Division of Reclamation, anybody who mines has to get uh, permits, and they have to tell how they're going to mine and what they're going to do afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, after In 1970, strip mine law changed. And uh, the miners came under a great deal of scrutiny. Every ton of coal they mined, they put into a fund, the Abandoned Mine Lands Fund. And that comes back to the state to fix up mined lands that were mined before the, the, bra- the law. But right now, they have to get bonds. And in order to get that bond money back, they have to get uh, a lot of reclamation. In fact, um, if you're in prime farmland, you have to show that you – have uh, crop or, or other pasture productivity equal or greater than what it was before you strip mined it. So they put things back and put the soil on the top and oh, do great. a lot of work. There's also a lot of effort to uh, to grow hardwood and other valuable trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in addition to that, a lot of these mined lands can be used for renewable energy. Um, There are people looking at switchgrass, which is a fast-growing cellulosic fuel. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of work being done, and uh, there were uh, issues in the past of strip mining, um, but now we do a lot of effort to clean things up, and we're also looking at ways to ameliorate the acid production uh, through bioreactors and all sorts of things.
5: Great. What's wrong with 95% efficiency? I mean, that's pretty good. Why why are all the extra money to... The extra five
2: percent. Uh, well, it, it's it is common in in chemistry that you can do uh, a good job, mm-hmm. but to do a perfect job, it takes a lot lot more than yeah. uh, just to do an adequate job, I guess. And that yeah. that's all defined by what society wants.
5: Oh, I see. Okay, great.
3: Well, another thing to add to that is that um, you know if you're talking about uh, you know particulate pollution and things like that, mm-hmm. you can get you know, very good, and that's why, you know, the skies aren't like, like they were in the past. Yeah. But if you're thinking about CO2, mm-hmm. that's it's not a minor product, not a minor species coming out of, out of the coal power plant. It's a major part of it, and so it's a much uh, more difficult problem to, to deal with that mm-hmm. and, and, you know, capturing it and sequestering it. And uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's a pretty good history of, you know, of, of, you know, vastly improving uh, the, the the in minimizing the pollutant formation, yeah. but to deal with the CO2, it's a much bigger problem.
5: Mm-hmm. All right, thanks very much. All right,
1: thanks a lot okay. for your call. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and WFIU dot org slash noon edition. We have an email that came in that I want to I want to read because I don't think it's really. Accurate, and I just want to make sure it says uh, the emailer asked. Please tell us where the funding comes from for the coal energy research institute at IU. Um, JC, your your institute is not a coal energy. No, I mean it's.
0: A, uh, I, I think the our respondent here may be confusing that with the uh, center at Purdue, and, uh, and so
1: yeah, and Stevens Center is called the Coal Technology Research. Uh, Center for Coal Technology right. Research. Um, is, are there corporations that support your institute?
3: Uh, the CCTR? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I mean, um, I've been involved with this just a year or two, and, and I think the main funding comes through the state of Indiana.
1: Okay. All right, JC? Uh,
0: let me respond to that, too. I, I was actually one of the people that helped. Uh, develop that center and i right, I've, yeah, I've been the on the uh, been on the advisory board since its creation uh yeah you're you're correct uh, it, it actually operates the other way and that is the state of Indiana funds the center and also provides funds for research and development projects uh, both in the private sector in uh, the university community. And I, if I'm not mistaken, even in some nonprofit organizations.
4: Yeah, that's right. All right, thanks. Well, in the last few minutes we have here, I kind of wanted to, to get to uh, to this topic here, and that is the the topic of health. And uh, I know a lot of people have written letters to the editor in Bob's paper about this, uh, with regards to IU's heating plant. You know, just a, a few hundred feet away from us right now saying, you know, they live close to it, their children growing up near it. Uh, I know the concentration of coal plants around Evansville, around that tri-state area, is one of the largest, most concentrated areas in the world. And the asthma rates there, people point out, are, you know, enormously higher than they are in other places of the country, and they sort of see a connection there. So what risks are there that you know of, you know, living close to a coal plant, living close to having it in the air, you know, where, where you live?
2: Um, Well, (laughs) there are a lot of perceived risk. Um, A lot of these emissions are monitored. If you go down in that area, there are all these little – well, they're they're sort of like trucks mounted with a weather station and they are testing the air all the time. Uh, These people have to obey very strict rules and if you visited the IU heat plant, it's not an electric plant. It makes steam to help heat and cool the university and it's a very small operation. And to some extent, it may not have the same strictures that a big plant has. Even all, all of that, they put in, I believe, $60 million to clean things up, have new burners, and generally um, address a lot of the issues. And there is a, a new law which comes into effect very soon, and they are within specs. And they tried very hard, looked at a lot of um, Different techniques, including cloud chamber and other techniques, and we we work with them.
4: Well, that being said, what risks are there with all that effort?
2: Uh, this is beyond my ability. I am okay. a geologist. Let
4: me, let, me, let, me, let me try to respond to that.
0: Um, the concerns, uh, I think, uh, mostly come from uh, very fine particulate matter uh, that's uh, in. Taken in, I think the the pro. By the way, I, I'm not in medical sciences. I don't do epidemiology, but I think it's the fine particulate matter that is perhaps uh, the most serious concern. As Nelson mentioned, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has very strict guidelines on this and requires very strict enforcement. One can imagine that from time to time, those limits are exceeded. Uh, But what the duration uh, is, what the exposure is, um, that's uh, also beyond what uh, what I'm really work with. One thing that I know has received a lot of attention in the last few years is the release of mercury from coal combustion and uh, this is an area that I know the US Environmental Protection Agency is looking into very seriously. Mm
1: Stephen, is any of your research uh, involved um, reducing uh, mercury emissions?
3: Uh, none of mine personally, and mm-hmm. I'm not uh, uh, familiar with uh, enough to say what, what other people are doing with that.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we're about out of time. I just wanted to uh, reiterate or have any of you reiterate the fact that I mean, this hasn't been a, a show where we're saying that coal is the only answer or that coal is a clean technology. I think you've all said cleaner. JC, do you want to?
0: Just in 30
1: seconds or less.
0: Before we run out of time, I just want to call uh, to the attention of uh, those out there interested in the topic. The uh, National Academy of Science uh, in 2009 produced uh, America's Energy Future. Uh, It's available through the National Resource Council. Uh, It's an excellent document. Uh, Relating back to um, the renewables issue – in the journal Nature, in August 2008, there is a very insightful article called Electricity Without Carbon, and I'd like to recommend both of those as outstanding background
1: reading. All right. Thank you very much. We are out of time. We're going to have to, have to close this off. I want to thank uh, JC and Nelson uh, and Stephen all for being here with us today. It's been quite an interesting conversation. Thank you also, of course, to Daniel Robinson for being here with me today and producer Ariana Prothero, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.
5: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at wfiu.org.
1: Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery.